I want to start with is, if you have your Bibles, please turn to Romans chapter 1. I'm just going to sort of kick off with this, but that's not where I'm going to spend a lot of time. Romans chapter 1 is written by the Apostle Paul to Christians who were already in Rome and he was saying, I'm going to come and I want to share something with you. I've got my, something burning in my heart I want to share with you. And this is where we come to that little phrase where it says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. So Romans chapter 1, and I might start reading from, say, 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 say verse 14, say 15. Romans 1, 15. So, as much as is in me, I am ready to preach the gospel to you who are in Rome also. For I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God to salvation to everyone who believes, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. For in it the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith, as it's written, the just shall live by faith. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, he wrote. Now, Barclay, William Barclay, wrote a translation of the New Testament. And for this little phrase here, he wrote, I am proud of the gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. The Good News Bible says, I have complete confidence in the gospel because it's the power of God unto salvation. The word power is the ability to bring people to salvation, which is wholeness and righteousness and right standing with God. So he says, I've got confidence that when we grab hold of the gospel, it can bring people into a right standing with God. And in fact, all of the rest of it says there's no other way of doing it. And later on in, in, in Romans, in chapter 1, further and down the 1, uh, no, chapter 2, I think it is, he said, people are condemned by their own uh, conscience. You know how people say, what about the pygmy in Africa? Well, Paul handles that and he says, everyone's got a conscience. Everyone is aware of sin. And even if they haven't heard this gospel, they are condemned or they are saved by how they respond to their conscience. So Paul says, I'm going into Rome. It's like, like you or me saying, I'm going into Hollywood. I'm going into New York. Now, we could go there now because there are churches everywhere, but <laughs> imagine if there were no churches and you go into Hollywood. Now, what they can do in Hollywood is they laugh at you and say, get out of here, get out of here. But this fellow's going into Rome and they say, you preach a message like that, mate, we'll take your head off or we'll put you in with the lions in the Colosseum. So Paul is saying, I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God. It's the only way that people can be brought into a relationship with God. In fact, there's no other way. Now, Paul said this knowing full well that he was going into a pit. He was going into a den of lions. 
He was going into a place where he was going to be uh, aggressively received. They weren't going to be clapping their hands and say, you beauty, we've been waiting to hear this. Caesar said he was God. And Paul was going to go into a place where he said, no, Caesar's not God, Jesus is God. And so he knew full well what he was going into. I have complete confidence in the gospel. Beloved, I really put it to you that you and I need to come to that place where we have complete confidence in the gospel, that it is what puts men and women right with God. It's not yoga and it's not exercises and it's not saving the trees and it's not all of the other things that are thrown at us. The only thing that can put men and women right with God is the gospel. Settle that in your hearts, please. We need to settle that. So I've got, that was the intro. I've got a couple of thoughts that I want to share today. One, very, very quickly, a short one, that I hope will encourage you. Uh, the longer one, I hope will encourage you, but I think it's going to challenge us all, and certainly me. The first thought is this. It's good news, I think. Uh, I met with some pastors a couple of weeks ago, and we were in a, uh, we were in a, uh, uh, a meeting, and uh, one pastor there spoke, uh, amongst a whole lot of other things. He had been meeting with a whole swag of evangelists. He'd been spending time with evangelists. That's really what I was wanting to say. And they were reporting to him. This pastor was from Sydney, so maybe things are different over there, but I don't think so. He, he reported to us that they said to him, they sensed there was a greater willingness to listen to the gospel than there might have been five years ago or ten years ago. They were prepared to listen where back then they wouldn't. Uh, it reminded me of Exodus where Pharaoh had those children of Israel enslaved and he said, you've got to make bricks. And then he got really cranky at them and he said, people bring you straw to make your bricks but I am angry at you you have to get your own straw now and you have to produce the same number of bricks. And they said, we can't do it, we can't do it. And, 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 and he commanded the, uh, the slave drivers to hit them harder with the whips, make the whips tougher and, and, and lay into them. And so Pharaoh wanted the same number of bricks and they had to get their own straw. Now I'm wondering, I'm wondering if in our... 2018 in Australia, people are sensing that they've got to produce the same number of bricks, but they've got to get their own straw. Do you understand where I, the analogy I'm using? We're not making bricks these days, but we are making lives and we are raising teenagers and we're raising kids and we're paying for mortgages and we're paying for cars and we're paying for electricity and gas and, and the slave drivers are hitting harder and harder and we all want, you know, Pharaoh wants those bricks. And I just wonder if there's something in people's hearts where people are beginning to say, this isn't how it ought to be. Now, I hope that those evangelists were right. I hope that pastor reported right what they had said. 
I hope that that's the, the thing that's happening in people's lives. As we're surrounded by all of this magnificence and yet people on the inside are saying, this is tough. Marriages are falling apart. Kids are getting involved in stuff and stuff and stuff. And who knows, they might turn to the Lord. That's, what, that's the good news. There's a, I've got to mention there's a, 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 a Canadian psychologist named Jordan Peterson. Has anyone heard that name? Jordan Peterson. He's, uh, he's just, he seems to be a bit of a flavour of the month. He's not, a, he's not a confessing Christian, but it, so much of what he says, you know, we could say here uh, uh, fr- from a Christian viewpoint. And uh, he's on YouTube, very popular on YouTube at the moment. 50 million hits. I don't know if that's good or bad, but it sounds pretty good to me. And um, he was interviewed and uh, he's saying that people need, he's saying essentially that people need to get back to old values, traditional values. So he wasn't saying come back to Christ, but he was saying work hard, forgive, you know, all of those things that we would say. And the question was asked of him, do you think there is a coming Christian renaissance? And he said, it's likely. He might be a prophet, he might be a phony. But he's saying, he's repeating those things that that I've been saying this morning, that the Burden is heavy and people are looking for a solution. And I put it to us that Jesus is the answer and we need to not be ashamed of the gospel. Have confidence in the gospel. I am proud of the gospel, these two other writers said. And I say to us all, stay the course, beloved. I'm going to come into the opposition now. Stay the course. Stay the course. Where sin abounds, God's grace much more abounds. Where, where the load is heavy, God's help is better than the load. It's stronger than the load. So that's, I think, the good news. Stay the course. The second is, is more challenging. And I want to speak about Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego. So can you find Daniel chapter 1, please? Daniel chapter 1. It's page 987 in my Bible. (laughs) Daniel chapter 1. Now normally I would read it, um, but looking around, I think most of us know the story of Daniel. So I'm just going to pick out verse by verse and know the story of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. So I want to talk about the society in which we live. I want to talk about the society into which Paul went when he went to Rome. Remember, Rome was the centre of the universe, the known universe at that time. Rome was the, uh, the seat of the Caesars and the Senate and the army that conquered the known world at that time. And Rome ruled with a rod of iron. And he was going to go in there and he was going to preach this gospel. And it was going to be tough going. So I want to um, use some of the verses from here and I want to apply them to our situation today. In the third year, this is reading from verse 1 of Daniel chapter 1. In the third year of the reign of Jehoiakim, 
king of Judah, Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Now, if you've been a Christian for a while, you begin to understand that Babylon is a, is a type of everything that is anti-Christian. It is anti-God. It is anti-Christian ethic. So, using this analogy that I, that I want to go with, the king of Babylon comes to Jerusalem, which is the centre of God's universe, if I can use that analogy, and he besieged it. I want to say that uh, Jerusalem, the Christian church, certainly in the Western world, is under siege. Nebuchadnezzar, secular humanism, has come to besiege the Christian church. It's besieging Christians and Christianity. And if you open your eyes a little bit, you don't have to open it too far to understand how the things that we hold dear in our life, our Christian witness, our Christian commitment is being attacked day after day after day by the secular uh, rulers of our nation. There's anti-Christian philosophy and anti-Christian laws everywhere. Same-sex marriage and its outworkings. We, we haven't seen the outworkings. People say, well, same-sex marriage came into play, you know, and the sky hasn't fallen in. Well, the sky doesn't fall in in five minutes, but there will be implications uh, down the track. Uh, the religious freedoms that are connected to our Christianity are already under siege and will be more so under siege. There was, a, there was an ungodly rush to pass those laws through before Christmas and people said, well, what about the religious freedoms that churches might expect? They said, oh, we'll deal with that later. We'll deal with that later. So everyone said, yep, we'll vote for it. And now there's a commission which some of us put um, submissions to about religious freedoms. But I can tell you they're not going to be in favour of our churches. They're going to be against our churches. We'd better be ready for that. There's that horrific safe schools thing that's happening in so many of our schools. There are the laws against what is called hate speech. As soon as someone, it seems, as soon as someone disagrees with your point of view, it's called hate speech. And, and, and the, the capacity to have decent debate amongst people is, is being diminished. Men are becoming women. And women are becoming men. In the Commonwealth Games that are coming up in a couple of weeks, a few weeks in Brisbane, the Gold Coast, uh, the hosts are being encouraged not to say, ladies and gentlemen, Goodness me. Anyone who speaks against this, these, these things, and a lot more, I mean I could speak a lot more, is being shot down, being shouted down. In Tasmania, the, uh, the Catholic Archbishop of Hobart uh, was referred to the Anti-Discrimination Board. Do you know this? Because 
they sent home in their Catholic schools, they sent home a pamphlet speaking in favour of traditional marriage that this world has known for thousands of years and now all of a sudden uh, men can marry men and women can marry women. And because he published this pamphlet, he was referred to the Anti-Discrimination Board. So, gainsayers are shot down. So, let's get back to this verse here. Nebuchadnezzar came to Jerusalem and besieged it. Verse 2. And the Lord gave Jehoiakim, king of Judah, into his hand with some of the articles of the house of God, which he carried into the land of Shinar, that's back to Babylon, to the house of his God, and he bought the articles into the treasure house of his God. So Jerusalem was taken captive. Uh, implements that were used for the worship of God and to honour God were taken to, back to Babylon and put in the temple of their God. Things that were dedicated to God, things that were made beautiful for God, were now in the house of the devil. I want to take the analogy. The sanctity of marriage, the beautiful thing that God created. When, 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 when Adam was married to Eve and, and the, the marriage that so many of us have enjoyed, the beauty of Christian marriage, has, it was taken into the house of the devil. Childhood, such a precious, beautiful time, is being corrupted by things like the Safe Schools program and the, the energy with which people are pushing a line that is horrific. Well, it's horrific to me. I hope it's horrific to you. Uh, the miracle of life, conception to birth, the, the miracle of life, the miracle of life. Well, our laws say in Victoria, up to the day of birth, there can be an abortion. In Genesis, it says God made them male and female. And as I said, there are Men can be women now and women can be men. I think I'll be a woman today. And tomorrow I might be a man. That's how ridiculous and stupid and evil it has become. So, verse 4, no, 3. Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles. Listen to this. Young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. So they took these Jewish young lads, who knows how old they are, 12, 13, 14, 15, smart and they took them to Babylon and they said, we're going to turn you into Chaldeans. And I, I put it to you that young people like that are inquiring and ambitious in a good way and, and pliable, really, because they're just stepping out on their journey of life. They took them to Babylon. 
and they began to indoctrinate them and they began to inculcate them and they began to teach them the language of Babylon and the ways of Babylon. And I just wonder if you can see with me that our universities are doing that. You know that universities started out as Christian institutions, Christian institutions, and you look at what's happening now, um, so thoroughly secular. Our schools... Schools overwhelmingly, as the West was settled, schools were started by churches, by Christian groups, and now has been um, hijacked to teach humanism and, and, and secular. Verse 5. The king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. We will pay, you will obey. And if you don't obey, we'll stop paying. We'll withdraw funding. You know, I've been involved in enough organisations that have had government funding uh, to know that if you just don't do it exactly right, they will pull your funding for you. This man, uh, Jordan Peterson, uh, he, was a, he was a psychologist in Toronto, I think, University of Toronto. Every year he received funding for research until the last couple of years they said, no, we're going to cut off your funding because he's starting to speak out, uh, you know, along the lines that I'm going along, and uh, they said, we're going to cut off your funding. What have I done wrong? Well, what you've done wrong, buddy, is you've been speaking against Babylon. You've been speaking against Caesar. That's what you've done wrong. So believe it or not, there was a crowdfunding set up and I think he raised $200,000, which was about two years' worth of funding. So people jumped in and helped him. So they took these young men and I say to you that they're taking our kids. And we've had kids go through university here. We've had the Lauras and the Warwicks and we've had the Yohans of this world and others who are going through university. Praise the Lord, some have come through. And they're still upholding their Christian witness. But sadly, you know them and I certainly know them. There have been kids who have gone to university and their faith has, has plummeted. Thank God for the ones who withstood. Okay, so uh, we will pay and you will obey. Uh, verse 6 not only that, from among those, the sons of Judah, were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Zariah. To them, the names of the eunuchs, the chief of the eunuchs, gave them different names. Now, look, I could speak about this, but I, I won't. What he, I'll just tell you Daniel. Daniel's name meant, God is my judge. And this chief of the uh, Babylon uh, force changed his name to Belteshazzar, which is keeper of the hidden treasures of Bel. So they said, we're going to take away your Christian names and we're going to give you Babylonian names. So they changed their names uh, from God-honouring to idol-honouring. Now Daniel purposed in his heart, verse 7, uh, verse 8, but Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor with the wine that he drank. Therefore he requested the chief of the eunuchs 
that he might not defile himself. So Daniel, uh, Daniel was an, an alert guy. That's why he was in this situation. And Daniel purposed that he was not going to go along with this. This is, this is, this is pretty big stuff. You know, the Nebuchadnezzar says, this is what you're going to do. And this little guy, 17, 18 years old, 14, 15, who knows, says, I'm not going to do it. Because he understood the issues, he understood the implications, he understood the consequences, and he said, if I go down that road, then I'm just, I, I, I run the risk of being swallowed up by Babylon. So he said, I'm not going to do it. Now, somewhere in there, he decided that God was God and Babylon was not God. So he said to the chief of the eunuchs, he said, look... Um, I, I don't want to do this. I don't want to eat. Uh, I don't want to eat meat that's been offered to idols. I don't want to eat pork. I'm a good Jewish boy. I don't want to eat pork. And uh, the the the, uh, the chief of the eunuchs said, "Look, uh, you're a nice guy, but I'm not going to let you uh, get me into trouble because you know the king will look at you and you're not eating properly, and then I'll be in trouble." And so Daniel put the challenge to him. He said, look, give us vegetables and you test us after 10 days and you'll see that, uh, that things are going good with us. And, and that's just what he did. Uh, the guy agreed to it. The chief of the eunuchs agreed to it. And uh, they ate these vegetables for 10 days. It says in verse 15, at the end of that time, at the end of the 10 days, their countenance appeared better and fatter in flesh than all of the young men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. So maybe these vegans are onto something. <laughs> so at the end of 10 days, he put his trust in God and said, Lord, we really need you to help us here. And at the end of 10 days, they shone. And in verse 17, it says, God prospered them. As for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom, and Daniel had understanding in all dreams and visions. And verse 20 says, In all matters of wisdom and understanding about which the king examined them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King Cyrus. Now, he, he didn't start his journey with King Cyrus, but that was a period of maybe 70 years, maybe 70 years until King Cyrus came on the scene. So this man, Daniel, uh, with his Christian commitment, was placed at the centre of the Babylonian universe and he ruled and, and was right-hand man uh, to the king. Ten times better. We Christians, we Christians, our kids and us, we're committed to things like honesty, and integrity, and gentleness, and forgiveness, and peace. We're committed to loving others. All of these qualities in a workplace, not just at church, praise the Lord for it at church, but take it out into the workplace and, and do these things, and you will shine. You will shine, you will shine. It says in a couple of places in Scripture, the, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of all wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of all knowledge. So when our kids, our young ones here, 
go out to their workplace with integrity, honesty, decency, no gossip, truthfulness, all of those sorts of things, employers look at them and say, wow, what is that? And, and they will be promoted, as, as was happened here, as happened here with Daniel, and, and later on also with his offsiders. Chapter 2, I, I don't want to spend much, I don't want to spend any time in it really, but it tells about the dream, how King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream, he wanted an interpretation, he called the soothsayers, and they said, well, King, uh, you tell us the dream and we'll give you the interpretation. And the king said, you're all a mob of crooks. You tell me the dream and then tell me the interpretation. <laughs> and, uh, and he said, if you don't, I'll take your heads off. And of course, they all backed off and said, no, 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 no. So Daniel, God gave him the dream and the interpretation. God favoured him and that really was a great victory there. We, we won't go down that road too far. So then chapter 3... Uh, this is about Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. Now remember our theme is not being ashamed of the gospel because it's the only way that man can get right with God. So Daniel said, I, I, I'm not going to go down that road and God said, I'll honour you for that. So now look at these three guys. Again, you know the story, but I just want to pull some thoughts out of here. So King Nebuchadnezzar makes this great statue, you know, 60 or 80 feet high, and he says, when you hear the music, uh, everyone who is within hearing of the music is to bow down uh, in front of that statue. But remember, there was these three guys. And they, they determined that they were not going to bow down. So let's have a look at verse 12. So the gossipers came to the king. And they said, there are certain Jews whom you have set over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. These men, O king, have not paid due regard to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image which you have set up. So they came and dobbed them in. Verse 13. Nebuchadnezzar, in rage and fury, gave the command to bring Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego... So they brought these men before the king. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying to them, Is it true, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, that you do not serve my gods or worship the golden image which I have set up? After all I've done for you, after I've looked after you and promoted you and fed you and clothed you, you still refuse to bow before my image. He said, Now I'm going to give you a bit of a chance here, verse 15. If you are ready... At the time you hear the sound of the horn, flute, the music, uh, and you fall down and worship the image which I have made, then good. But if you do not worship, you shall be cast immediately into the midst of a burning, fiery furnace. And who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? He was giving them a chance. He was saying, um, think it over, boys. When you hear the music next time, uh, bow, otherwise the furnace will be prepared. Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego answered and said to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, we have no need to answer you in this matter. If this is the case, our God, 
whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace. And he will deliver us from your hand, O king. So they had confidence that God would bring them through. Verse 18, tremendous verse. But if not, even if he doesn't deliver us, let it be known to you, O king, that we do not serve your gods, nor will we worship the golden image that you have set up. God will deliver us, but even if he doesn't, we are committed to this course of action. And then, you know, how much time do we need to spend on the rest? They fired up the, um, they fired up the uh, furnace, uh, you know, seven times hotter than normal. Remember, this is, this is Saddam Hussein country. This is ISIS country. They don't do things by half measures, you know. Fire up that furnace. And they threw them in. And uh, even the guys who were throwing them in, uh, they got burnt. Uh, and then they looked in and they could see four men in there. And Nebuchadnezzar said, didn't we throw in three men? And yet there's four in there. And they said, and one of them looks like the son of God. How good is that? In the midst of their trial, in the midst of the absolute pits, the end of their life, uh, God was with them and he delivered them. And it says they came out of that furnace and even their clothes didn't smell of smoke. How good is that? Because God brought them through. Now, that's a great story and I, and I absolutely believe it to be true. Uh, but you and I know that we don't have furnaces these days. We have guns and we have bombs and we have knives and, uh, and Christians get doused with petrol and their cars get set on fire. And it's a very, what I'm talking to you is a really, really serious business. Um, verse 28. Um, Nebuchadnezzar was really, really stung by all this. He was stunned. Nebuchadnezzar spoke, saying, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted in him, and they have frustrated the king's word and yielded their bodies that they should not serve or worship any god except their own. Therefore I make a decree that any people, nation or language which speaks anything amiss against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego shall be cut into pieces and their houses shall be made into ash, an ash heap because there is no other God who can deliver like this. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego in the province of Babylon. Now that's an extreme story. And it's an extreme situation. But you say, well, we don't have Nebuchadnezzars in Australia. We don't have kings. This is a democracy. And I say to you, yes, we do have kings. Uh, not literal kings. Uh, but we have government departments. We have uh, commissions set up by government who will get stuck into you if you step out of line. Uh, Government, uh, you, you realise on birth certificates now, they are uh, wanting to remove uh, father and mother. Uh, um, and, and not only on, uh, on uh, passport applications, male, female, other. 
You try and speak against that and you're taking your career into your hands. Uh, the hate speech laws, we, uh, it's a horrible term, hate speech, because we speak against things that we think are wrong. We love the sinner, we love people, but sometimes we hate what they do. Uh, but uh, in all of the confusion and the noise, we, we might be accused of hate speech. Uh, Qantas uh, has got on board with all of this, this flow. The AFL. What place does the AFL have promoting same-sex marriage, which they did back then? Cooper's Brewery. They had a, there was a debate on TV. Do you know that? There was a debate on TV back at the same-sex vote time and uh, people uh, there was a debate, one side and the other side, and people ripped into Cooper's Brewery uh, and they forced them to back down. So there are kings these days, but they've all got different names on them. And you and I come into contact with those kings. You and I are brought before them and, and we're going to need to speak. So can we stand with Daniel? Can we stand with Shadrach? Meshach, Abednego, can we stand with Paul and say, I'm not ashamed of the gospel? Don't be too quick to say yes, because we might find ourselves in the Colosseum with lions. We might find ourselves in the furnace that's heated up to seven times its normal heat. There are consequences when you stand against the flow, when you stand for righteousness and truth. There are consequences. I thank God that, that we've lived most of our lives without heavy consequences. I just wonder what's going to happen to our kids and our grandchildren unless there's a revival here. I, I, I fear that Nebuchadnezzar will get stronger and stronger. There are consequences. John the Baptist lost his head because he spoke against an adulterous situation. Stephen, one of the apostles, was martyred because he spoke for righteousness. Uh, we understand tradition tells us that the 12 disciples, the, the 11 other than Stephen, um, were martyred for their uh, speaking of Christ. Look, our weekly newsletter, and it's in again today, if you go back over our weekly newsletter, Again and again and again, we find situations where Christians are being persecuted for their faith. Go back over them and have a look and pray for those people. Um, communism in Europe and communism in China is anti, viciously anti-Christian. People don't really know, but they think that well over 100 million people have died because of communism. The, not because of their Christian faith necessarily. So I want to wrap up by saying, what can we do in the light of this and what must we do? And I've got some suggestions. I hope what I've said is not prophetic. I don't want it to be prophetic. I don't want them to come and start pulling my fingernails out and say, deny Christ. I honestly don't know how I'd stand up in that. But God has been with others. What can we do? I've got some suggestions. If God puts us in a position of authority, 
or power or whatever word you want to use at your work in a club of some sort if God puts you in a position of authority use that position as much as you're able to to set an atmosphere in your workplace if you're the boss or if you're nearly the boss if you're in charge of situations use what you've got to set an atmosphere I was reading a I was reading a, a, a biography, really, of one of the pastors within the CRC, uh, an old man now, came here a few months ago. Um, he was a leading hand in a workplace and someone in the lunchroom, there were 20 or 30 people working there, someone had set up a, a, a filthy cartoon up on the notice board and someone came to him and said, what are we going to do about it? What are we going to do about it? They weren't sure what to do. So this guy, he's a tough one, he marched into the lunchroom, ripped it off, screwed it up or tore it up, threw it in the bin. No one said a word afterwards because he was the boss. Use the power that you have as much as you're able to. Secondly, pick your battles wisely. You don't want to get shot on the first day. Pick your battles wisely. Uh, is it a matter of style or is it a matter of principle? If it's a matter of style, you don't like it, but you shrug your shoulders. If it's a matter of principle, maybe you need to take a stand. Maybe you need to catch the mind of God and say, do I take a stand? Uh, thirdly, ask the Lord for wisdom to identify the issues and the implications. You know, the more I read, uh, the more I see that there are consequences to everything. Nothing escapes consequences. And so sometimes too many people just look at the surface and they don't look below the surface. So ask God for wisdom to see if this goes like this and then it goes like that, is it going to end up here? Ask God for wisdom. Uh, fourthly, courage to stay the course. I was thinking of those two Dannys. Do you remember? Danny Nalia and Daniel Scott. They, um, they fought a battle maybe 10 years ago. They were dragged through court and they were dragged through. They lost their houses. They lost their reputations. In the end, they ended up winning. It was to do with uh, quoting uh, one of those religious writings. Pray God for protection. Pray for God to give you protection. I've read enough stories of you know, people like Corrie Ten Boom and whatever who stepped out, but God protected them. It says in Malachi that if you honour the Lord with your tithe, that he will rebuke the devourer. I reckon we could apply that in the situation that I'm talking about. God, blind their eyes, deafen their ears. Lord, send them to the wrong house, you know? Pray for revival. The thing that will turn all of this around, I believe, is a real revival uh, across our nation. It'll shut the mouths of those who speak against the gospel. Uh, in, in Wales, it closed the pubs and the police had nothing to do because there was revival back there 100 years ago. And my last point is this. Just remember that the main game that we are called to is men and women's souls 
Salvation. That's what we're called to, 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 to speak about. Don't be ashamed of the gospel. It's the only way that people can be made right with God. Even those who don't believe in God, their conscience is condemning them. So let's be bold to go in there with the message. The main game is the gospel, not saving trees, not saving heritage buildings, not uh, the CO2 levels in our atmosphere. Those things may or may not be important. It's men and women's eternal future that really matters. Beloved, use your position, use your influence, and don't be ashamed of the gospel. Just at the moment, not everyone is going to clap and say, I was dying to hear that. But on the basis of what I said with that pastor meeting with these evangelists, they're sensing that people are a little bit more eager to listen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that we have found you and you have found us. And the greatest thing that ever happened in our life was that we came to know Jesus. And Lord, we pray that for our neighbours. We pray that for the people across the road. Pray that for our relatives. We pray it for our nephews and nieces. We pray it for our mums and dads. We want to see your hand move across this whole nation. So Lord, in Jesus' name, let revival be poured out. Just like those floods have flooded northern Queensland and brought life and health and strength back to those economies. Lord, we want to see a spiritual revival over our nation. We want to see millions of Australians, Lord, touched by the hand of God. Lord, preserve our kids, preserve our grandchildren. Lord, preserve our nephews and nieces from the Nebuchadnezzars of this world and the fiery furnaces out there in this world. Lord, we look to you. Our very next breath comes from you. Thank you, Lord Jesus. We bless you and praise your name. Amen. Thank you for listening. The service is finished now. There's tea and coffee out the back. There's fellowship. It's a really important part of our church life. So come on out the back and share some fellowship with us. God bless you all. Good morning. <laughs>